So here we go, the book of Luke. Is everybody ready? Yes. Awesome. Um, Yeah, we're starting a series called the book of Luke. We want to experience the real Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to experience the real Jesus. And uh, the gospel of Luke in the New Testament, we're going to hear about this Jesus. And and today we're kicking off, we're actually starting in chapter 3. So um, we're going to change it up a little bit because chapters 1 and 2 in Luke are all about Jesus's birth and there's a season that comes up in December every year called Christmas all right so we're going to come back to 1 and 2 in December but we're going to start in verse uh, chapter 3 this morning so I encourage you to bring your bibles with you on Sundays um, we want you to be in God's word we want you to read it throughout the week not just here on Sundays and so that you can be caught up on what we're reading and studying we want God to work in his word in your life every single day that's why we create uh, a reading plan or a series guide for every series here at New Hope. If you're new, um, we want to give you tools so that you can get into the Bible on your own throughout the week. And so there's copies on a table in the middle of those doors on, on your way out. Or if you go to mynewhope.tv forward slash Luke, we have it on our mobile app, on our web app, and our website. So you can do it digitally as well if some of you love using your phones for that kind of stuff. Um, you can get into that. One other thing we do through the series is we also want to memorize some scripture. We want to hide God's word in our heart. We want to um, make it so that we understand what we're learning and what we're reading. And so when we have scriptures um, that we memorize, it's, it's those things where the Holy Spirit will bring it up in our lives because it's already in there. It's already in us. And so when he brings it up, it's usually at a time we need to remember, right? Um, and so we want to hide God's word in our mind and our thoughts and in our heart. And this is the first half of the of, um, the, the series we're doing this memory verse where Jesus is teaching and he's teaching all this. You'll hear him say blessed be or blessed. And when Jesus says blessed, we want to have our spiritual antennas up, right? We want to be like, okay, I want to live that life. Whatever the blessed life is with Jesus, I want to know what that is. Amen? Can I get in on that one? Like we want to live blessed lives. And so this is one of those phrases where Jesus says, this is what he says. He says, he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and do what? And obey it, right? Uh, So let's read this verse together, and let me explain it real quick, okay? So out loud, all together, let's read it. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus is saying it's, it's one thing to know God's word. It's a completely different thing to do God's word, right? Like, you're not going to be held on account at the end of your life by what you know. It's by what you do, right? That's how our lives are lived, by what we do, what we actually live out. And Jesus saying, if you want to live a blessed life, when you hear Jesus teaching, when you read the Bible and God opens up things to you, just don't read it, say, well, that's a good idea. Like, do it. Do it. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it is a, a tragedy for us, especially as Christ followers, to know God's word and do nothing with it. That's the greatest tragedy of our life. Um, and I'd rather live this one out. I'd rather live the blessed life that God wants for my life and your life, Right? And so that's what we're doing. We're learning God's word. We're understanding God's word. We do it every single week here at New Hope, and we want to help you do that as well. Now, I have an intro to the sermon that I want to do because I'm kind of introing the whole series that we're going through in Luke because I want us to understand the book of Luke a little bit. So would you just uh, work with me here? Is that cool? Is that all right? And then we'll get into the sermon for the morning, which is, I think is pretty good. All right, so we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but I want to understand the, the, the gospel of Luke. The gospel means good news. So it's the good news that Luke is sharing. And this good news that Luke is sharing is the good news of this person named Jesus and sharing what he did while he was on this earth. That's what the book of Luke is. 
And Luke, this, this character Luke uh, in the New Testament, he, um, he was a doctor, okay? So Luke was a physician. And so when you read the book of Luke, understand that Luke is so detailed in what he writes and why he writes it. He, he, um, he went back and got testimony eyewitnesses and wrote those and, t- and captured all that information from all the people that were with Jesus, could experience Jesus. He took the things he experienced with Jesus, like all of that together, and he took it all in super detail and then wrote it out. And we're going to read in chapter 1 that he wrote it for this guy named Theophilus. And obviously Theophilus wanted to know the whole story with Jesus. The cool thing about the book of Luke is that Luke is so detailed, like the way he wrote this book compared to the other gospels, he was so detailed and scientific. I mean, some of you in this room, you think that way. You're very like detail. You like, you like, you know, all the T's crossed, the I's dotted. Like you just want to make sure everything's put together. You think scientifically. Like this is a great book to read because that's was Luke. That's how he wrote it. If you go back to the original language, he wrote it in, in Greek, actually, and theologians study it. Like, his language in Greek was way at a higher level than any of the other gospel writers because he was just that smart. He was just that intelligent and that educated. And so when we're reading this book, I want you to understand we're reading um, from Luke um, in this very methodical, research-driven, eyewitness accounts experience of Jesus, Okay. And, um, and, and actually, this is what he says in Luke chapter 1. Um, he, this is his, the beginning of the whole book. He says, Since many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those, um, by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he's like, I went to all the eyewitnesses. I went to those who experienced all these things with Jesus. I wanted to make sure I had everything right, is what he's saying. He says, it seemed fitting uh, to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in an orderly sequence. Most excellent Theophilus. That's where it sounds like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Most excellent Theophilus. You know, like, so, like he, so he's being very detailed in this sequence. So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. This is a good book to study, isn't it? It's a good book for us to understand. This is the real story. This is history. Like, and this is history that Luke, the detailed physician doctor, said, I went and I searched, and I hunted people down, and I got the eyewitness accounts, and I did everything to make sure this was accurate historically for what happened when Jesus walked this planet. And so that's what we get to study over the next 10 weeks. I think it's 10 weeks that we get to dig into uh, chapters 3 through 21 is what we're doing, okay? So we're starting in chapter 3 because the whole Christmas thing, and we'll come back to it 1 and 2. And the thing is that's interesting for us Luke also wrote another book called the book of Acts, right? Uh, who was here during the summer, and we started that in May, right? We went through the book of Acts. So Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote the book of Luke, hence his name. And the reality is us studying just those two books, we've already, we will be covering 60% of the New Testament with just those two books. So Luke was an important part of God's written word for us, us knowing who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what the church is supposed to do. Like Luke is a very influential, godly man in history that God used by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us this word. And so I want us to carry it with that weight. Y'all with me? Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to dig into this uh, as we go, go through this. So as we dig into today, starting in, in chapter 3, I have a quick question for you uh, before we get into it. Has there ever been something in your life or a season in your life or maybe a situation, I would say a situation in your life, where you got stuck somewhere. 
Has anybody ever been on a roller coaster and got stuck? It's just, I mean, I, that's never happened. I'd be terrified, right? If you're like upside down on a hill and oops, it stopped, you know, like you got to be kidding me. Probably not most of us. Have you ever been stuck in a car like in the snow and you can't get out or maybe your car went in a ditch and you're like, how am I getting this out? And, um, have you ever had your head stuck in the banister of your stairs? Anybody? Can I get a witness? All right. So being stuck sucks, doesn't it? It's like, come on, no. And the moment you get stuck, the, th- the word that comes in your mind is the word help, right? Like I need help. I need somebody to help me. That's what happens when we get stuck, and sometimes people get stuck in the stupidest ways. Adults that play in children's playgrounds should never, I don't know, because this happened to somebody, right? It's like, come on, dude. That was not for you, and you shouldn't have done that. Or maybe the, uh, the grocery carts that are made for kids. What? You got in the car. If you can see, there's two young ladies sitting in there. I have no idea how they got out, right? Like poor stock boy had to come and get the jaws of life to break him out of the cart help, right? <laughs> like, help. That's what happens when you get stuck. You need help. You need somebody to come and help you. And there's that tension of being stuck and waiting for help to come, right? Uh, a few years ago, actually a number of years ago, in 2010, there was a mine in Chile that collapsed. And if you remember the Chilean miners that were stuck under the ground, 2,000 feet under the ground for 69 days in a mine, Could you imagine that? All they had was like cans of tuna fish and I think some crackers and they had to ration that and make sure they had enough just so they could survive being in there because they had no idea how long they were going to be down there, right? And so they were stuck down there. It took 17 days for them to even find the 33 men that were stuck there. 17 days, nobody even knew where they were, right? How hopeless would have you felt? Like how in the world are we getting... Everything's collapsed. There's no way out. We don't know how we're going to get out of here. After the 17 days, it took 52 days to figure out a way to drill and finally get them free out of that mine. Could you imagine being stuck like that for 69 days, waiting, wondering, do they even know we're gone? Are they even trying to get us out of here? Do they even know where we're at that feeling of stuck. I mean, that's a, that, that would be a deep feeling. Some of you, like, anybody afraid of the dark, right? Or afraid of what's in the dark, maybe? Like, like you're not afraid of the dark itself, and, or, uh, you know, just claustrophobia, that kind of, ah! You'd be waiting for somebody to come and save you, right? You see, we're getting into this point of history in the book of Luke. It was right at 26 AD. So, the year 26. And, um, and the Jewish nation, the, the Jews and the religious leaders in that day had been stuck, meaning they'd been stuck under somebody else ruling over them generation after generation after generation. You look through the whole Old Testament, you see that God made a promise to this guy by the name of Abraham, which is then the promise that goes to the whole Old Testament, gets fulfilled in the New Testament. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Everyone through you will be blessed. Like he makes all these promises to Abraham. And that is the lineage in the beginning of Judaism. And so these, this Jewish nation grew, but it grew underneath this guy Pharaoh in Egypt. And so they were a slave nation in Egypt under Pharaoh, then they got set free, and then they found God. God was with them, and then they ran away from God. And then another nation comes and brings oppression to them. And we see this cycle all through the Old Testament over and over and over again where other nations other than God and other than themselves continue to rule over them, 
history just kept repeating itself. You read about later on the Babylonian exile where they were pulled from Jerusalem, from Nebuchadnezzar, and they were pulled into Babylon. Just a heathen nation, right? Absolute heathen nation. Until later on, they got to return. You read the books of Nehemiah and those kind of things when they got to return back to Jerusalem. But the cycle kept going. And now they're in this point of history, 26 AD, and still somebody is ruling over them. In this point of history, it's this nation called Rome. It was Roman rule. Rome ruled everything, right? And so now these Jews are like, man, would somebody just come free us from this Roman rule? Because Rome didn't rule with like daisies and happy faces, right? When they came into places, they came and said, now you're part of us, so you have to pay us. That's where taxation came into play. And so then they would send the soldiers in to force the taxation. Then they'd have tax collectors who were their own people that signed up for the job, and then they skimmed money off the top and then gave what was needed to Rome. And so this whole system got built up that was oppressive to this Jewish nation underneath this Roman nation. And this whole, all of Judaism, they were waiting. Is somebody going to come and save us? Who's going to come? Now, for them, they, they knew because of all the prophecies in the Old Testament, and back into the book of Isaiah, we're going to see in a moment, that God was going to bring a Savior. There was this Messiah that was going to come, and he was going to come out of the lineage of David to rule on the throne forever. But the problem was many of them believed that that rule was ruling politically. They wanted a king to show up take over so they could rule over all the nations and they could be the ones that ruled over Rome. That's what many of them were hoping for and what they were longing for. But here they are, 26 AD, and they're stuck and they're waiting and they're waiting. Who's going to come save us? So think about those feelings of stuck, right? That's where we're at in this point of history. They were stuck waiting for a Messiah, waiting for a Savior, waiting for someone to come rescue them. Now, I'm going to say that I don't think anything has changed with the human condition. We just finished the book of Ecclesiastes, and I think we learned that, right? This is like everything under the sun, like everything's about, about drink my milk. I wasn't, that's for later. Um, There's nothing new under the sun. Like the human condition hasn't changed from 26 AD to today. And I still believe all of us, every single human on this planet, is trying to find something to save them. They're looking for something to fill this hole and this gap in their life, in their heart, and they're filling it with all sorts of different things. And I would challenge us this morning, whatever you choose to fill that hole, whatever you choose to save you, and when I'm saying save you, like save you in this world and for the world to come, you better choose wisely. That's my first fill in the blank. If you have your worship programs, you can follow along, and you can fill in the blanks and... and, um, and, and go through that with us. But we all want to be saved. That's inside of all of us. So I would say choose your Savior wisely. Choose wisely. You want to be sure that you're not pursuing a false Messiah or a false Savior in your life because we, we try to pursue all sorts of things that we think is going to fill this gap in our life. Like we, we pursue uh, relationships. We, we find somebody that we love and they're going to fill this gap in our life and so I want to spend all my time with them. And the problem is you're putting a, them in the seat of Messiah. They're there to save you, to meet your needs. To do, and the reality is not, there's no person that can do that in your life. They're going to let you down. Expectations are, are going to be just shattered and they're going to be hurt in the process because you're trying to put way more on them than they can ever give you in your life, right? 
Or it could be responsibilities, you know? You think, man, work, my, I feel priorities and important, and, and I feel purpose when I'm doing my job, and that's going to fulfill me. And the reality is you keep going and keep doing and keep going keep doing, and there's no end to it because it's not going to be the ultimate Savior for you. It's just not. It's not made to be that. It's not meant to be. We try all sorts of things to fill that gap, but I'm telling you, you should choose pretty wisely for what you're looking for to save you, your Savior for this life and the life to come. I'm grateful that we have somebody who is as smart as Luke, full of the Holy Spirit, that is going to teach us how to do this wisely and, and who we should be pursuing in this process, okay? So let's, let's, hop, into, and let's hop into it, okay? Because Luke is going to help us in this journey. When we start Luke chapter 3, you can fill in the blank on this one, he's going to introduce the character John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And so we're going to talk about John a lot today um, because John is preparing the way for the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. They're longing for him. They're, they're like the Savior. Somebody come save us. And here comes John the Baptizer. John is a prophet of God, and we're going to see that in this passage today. And, and he is going to bring the word of God to this new season um, of history. So let's, uh, let's hop into it. You got, if you're ready, you can say, yep. yep. Okay. Half is good enough for me. Here we go. Luke chapter 3, and, uh, and we're going to read the, the majority of the chapter this morning. So, so in, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and uh, track it to Nakanaka with uh, Lassanesia and this guy Abilene. Just go with me. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Whew! It's a lot of names, isn't it? It's like this person and that person and this person and this dude in this position. It's like, why is Luke going there? Remember how I described Luke? He's not going to leave any detail unturned. Right? Like, he's like, I want you to understand, this is a history lesson. During the reign of this person in this place, who is this person in this place, and who is the priests that were over the temple in this point of history, while this, the word of the God came to John. He's like, this happened. This is history. This isn't a story. This is history of what happened. And he's being very detailed. The word of God came to John. This is a very important phrase. The word of God came to we see this in the Old Testament, and the only times we see it in the Old Testament is when God was about to do something crazy, or that God was trying to get the attention of people. And typically, this phrase was used for God gave the word to a prophet. In the Old Testament, there were prophets God picked. They became his mouthpiece to his people. Sometimes they became the mouthpiece to other people, right? Like Jonah that we did over the summer. And so here we are in the Old Testament, you know, thinking about the word of God coming to John is now, he's a prophet. He is an Old Testament, the final, the last Old Covenant prophet who is coming for a reason. And the word of God is now going to be coming out of him to anybody who comes to hear him. So he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance uh, for the forgiveness of sins. So he's going all around. He's saying, get baptized in repentance. Get baptized in repentance. So I'm going to talk about the word baptism uh, a little bit as we go through this. But that's what he's preaching. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths 
for him. So now we're going back to Old Testament. He, John is, Luke is saying, John is the prophet that fulfills Isaiah in this passage, the prophecy in Isaiah, which Isaiah was written 700 years earlier. So 700 years before this happened, this was God preparing them, a Messiah is going to come, but before that, a prophet's going to show up, and this is what he's going to do. He's going to come and be that voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. This is a good prophecy, y'all. <laughs> right? And so Luke is, is saying, this is John. John is the prophet. John is preparing the way for what? For I want you to read verse 6 with me, right here, starting right here. All people will see God's salvation. This means something is changing. Something is changing in the spiritual air. The Jews and, and the religious leaders in that time, when they read this prophecy, they would have been thinking like this. They would have been thinking, okay, we're waiting for that prophet to show up that's going to make the way for the Messiah to come, and all people will see God's salvation. And they're like, that's us. And when they read the verse, all people, they were thinking all people, as in that means all the Jewish people, right? Because we're God's people. He picked us through Abraham and lineage and genealogy, and so we are the people that he's talking about. But that isn't what it says, is it? When I read and see, and you go back to the original language, and all people, it is translated all people. Everyone is going to be able to experience God's presence. The old covenant, the old agreement, a covenant is just an agreement that God made with Abraham was now going to be moving into a different covenant that wasn't just for the Jews, those that worshipped that way. It was now going to be for everyone. This is a shift, and we're seeing it when Jesus shows up. It all starts to shift. Okay? Y'all with me? This is really exciting, y'all. Like, this is like, this is... This is what we all want. This is what they were hoping for. This is what they were wanting. They were longing for a Messiah Savior. And like, this is it. He's coming. But they all had their own expectations of what that was going to mean, right? So here's John preparing the way, making clear for the Messiah to show up. Um, let me use an illustration here. I don't know. Has anybody ever been to like an event or something where the president was there? I don't know if anybody's ever been to one of those, right? Okay. Um, we had a couple people in the last gathering that, that did that. I'm like, wow, did you get to shake their hand? I'm like, no. I'm like, okay. I don't know. When the president shows up and has to be somewhere, there's a lot that goes into to the president showing up anywhere, right? Um, like the Secret Service go crazy. It's like, oh, we're going to be here at this date at this time. Like months ahead of time, they're having interviews with the people that are going to be there for that event. They're, they're doing background checks. They're making sure that all the you know, security is in place. They're meeting with all the people on the ground and the officers and, and police who are in that area and to make sure all the roads are cleared so when the president comes, like, they can get there real quick. Like, all sorts of things go into place whenever a president shows up to an event. It's crazy what happens in that moment. It happened to us once. We lived in Atlanta for a short season, and, and while we were down there, this is when President Bush, he was president... And he was showing up to Atlanta. And Nikki, I don't know if you've ever been to Atlanta. If you've driven through Atlanta, Atlanta traffic is crazy. I mean, bonkers, nutso crazy. And, uh, and we lived in that for way too long. And I've been to L.A. traffic, and I've been in Atlanta. Atlanta's even worse. Like, it's just bonkers. And so you're already going to have to wait to get anywhere. 
But when the president shows up, everything shuts down. If you're planning on going somewhere, good luck. You're not going anywhere. And that's what happened. Because when the president showed up, all the rows cleared out, like blocks upon blocks from his pathway that that car is going to go. It's like, land at the airport, get in that car. That car has freedom to go. Presidents don't have to stop at stoplights, you know? That's cool. Like, they just get to, I'm going. I'm going to do, and I'm going to be secure when I'm there. I'm going to get back in the car. I'm going to get back to the airport. I'm going to fly. Like, it is all detailed. See, this is the imagery in Isaiah of what John is doing for Jesus. He's going ahead. He's like, I'm preparing the way. I'm getting the people ready. I'm letting them know you're coming. I'm, I'm preaching uh, a message of repentance that things are about to change. They're going to be baptized in repentance. And, and yet here comes the Messiah. The path is going to be clear because he's preparing the way. That's what John is doing. Now, it says here that John is baptizing, giving them water baptism of repentance. Now, let me give you a little baptism history real quick, okay? Because today we celebrate baptisms, and we do it for specific reasons, okay? In the Old Testament, baptisms has been around for a long, long time. In the Old Testament, there were two ways that uh, in Judaism they would do baptisms and why they would do them. Um, one was for the priests, because the priests were the ones that ministered in the temple, and there were all these rituals attached to being clean to be able to serve in the temple. And one of those rituals was baptizing themselves in preparation to serve. So I don't know if it was like, yeah, y'all need a bath. You just stink, you know, like you're going to get dipped and then you're going to, that really wasn't it. It was ceremonial to say, no, I'm being cleansed and I'm spiritually, I want to be clean before God. And they would baptize themselves as a process of getting ready to serve in the temple. The other thing they would do in the Old Testament with baptism is if there was somebody who was not a, a, a Jew, they didn't have Jewish heritage, but they believed in God and they wanted to worship in the temple, so they wanted to join that temple, they would allow them as long as they held to the rules and laws that they had in place. So if it was a guy, they had to be circumcised. I mean, talk about that church program, right? Hey, y'all want to join the church? You know, <laughs> snip, snip. Uh, we talked a lot about that in, in a book. Uh, so I'm going to keep going. Um, so they'd have to do all these things. And a part of what they would do is they would then baptize them. And it was an act of like ceremonial cleansing for them to join that temple, to join them in worship. They were showing to all the other believers in the temple, all the other worshipers, we belong to you now. We've been cleansed and we want to be a part. That's what baptism was in the Old Testament. So now we see a shift because John is like changing baptism. He's saying, no, this is the water baptism of repentance. And it's for all these people. Whoever comes, he's saying, no, you need to be baptized in repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance is simply put, this is all it is. Repenting is like, I know I've been sinning. I know I've been going against God. I'm going to choose to no longer do those things. I'm repenting from them, and I'm going to do these things. I'm going to turn towards God. I'm going to do the good and right things. That's repentance. That's all it is. Turning from the bad doing the good. And so he's preaching to them, stop doing the bad, start doing the good. You know, he's like, so come get baptized, represent, like, you want to be a part of what God's doing now, because he's about to do something new, and if you want to be a part of it, you need to repent and go into the waters, baptism of repentance. And so that's what he's doing with these people. Now we're going to see Jesus comes, he starts to change baptism again, and, and, and until we understand what it is today in the New Testament, baptism is powerful. It's powerful. Okay? All right. Is everybody with me? Okay. I know I'm teaching. There's a lot of teaching, so I, I want to be sure we're all together. Um, so let's keep going. 
Um, verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by you, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? How would you like me to start the worship gathering like that? <laughs> like, hey, thanks for coming. You brood of vipers. You know, like, <laughs> you sack of snakes. You know, thanks for joining us. You know, like, that's what he, he, he's not pulling any punches. Like, like, John is coming out, and he's talking to the religious leaders and those that are there, and he's like, you guys are brood of vipers. Like, you're snakes. You look like one thing, but you act like another. And he just starts calling them out as a prophet of God, talking to the religious. He's like, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Oh, man. You don't understand how offensive this would have been to the Jews. They would have been like, excuse me? Like, no, we're of the lineage of Abraham. We have the genealogical rights to Judaism and the way we relate with God. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. If you weren't there, God would say, rocks, worship me. And he'd pull them up out of Abraham. He's like, you don't get it. Because for generations, all they've been doing is religion. They've been doing the things they're told they're supposed to do. They're obeying the laws. They're keeping the things. And, but their hearts were far from God. And a majority of the spiritual leaders were actually doing the opposite of what they taught that you're supposed to do. They weren't taking care of poor people. They were stealing from poor people. They weren't taking care of the widows. They were abusing the widows. Like they were doing all the things they weren't supposed to do, but they looked good on the outside and did the things they thought people would look at. And here's John calling them out on their crap. It's like, no, you can't argue and say, well, I'm, I'm from the lineage of Abraham. It's like, that doesn't matter any longer. It is all about to change. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Oh, snap. Like, he's like, <laughs> he's like you don't understand. If you say you're from Abraham, but you're a hypocrite, and you're not producing any of the fruit God actually wants in your life, you're going to be chopped down and burned in the fire. Pew. Talk about conviction. What he's saying is this whole thing isn't about religion. It's not about like looking good and doing good. It's about being good. <laughs> it's, it's about God wanting to be in your life and you wanting to be in his life. And he's like, you all aren't living that way. He says, what should we do then? Which is a great question for a bunch of people he just like slapped, you know. He's like, what should we do then? The crowd says, he said, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And he, he just cuts right to the heart. It seems like a lot of the religious leaders were driven by greed because that's what he attacks. He's like, listen, if you want to show the good fruit, don't be greedy. Don't be taken from people. Instead, if you've got two of one, give one away. If you've got more food you need, share with those that need it. He's like, don't live selfishly. That's, that's a baptism of repentance. You were a jerk, stop being a jerk, right? Like, that's what he's saying. He's like, don't do that. So this is the religious leaders he's talking to. Then even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Now, this is where, like, feathers get ruffled because the tax collectors were like the center of sinners. You know, you think tax collectors are bad today. Like, these guys were the guys that were stealing from their own people keeping off the top money for the, so that they could be rich and still paying Rome what they needed for taxes. That was a tax collector. And they're coming here in this message, and then they're saying, well, well, what should we do? We want to be baptized. We want to repent. He says, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Like, Just do the right thing, you know? Repent. Do the right thing. Then some soldiers asked him, and this gets even crazier. 
So the tax collectors were a part of the Roman system of stealing from, and now the soldiers show up. And these were Roman soldiers. They're the ones that forced oppression upon. They were like the ones that made sure you were afraid. And now here they're hearing this word from God through John, and they're saying, well, what should we do? And he said, don't extort, uh, extort any um, money and don't excuse, or sorry, let me start over. Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And he goes right to money again. He's like, all of this is driven by, we know the passage, I think it's in Timothy. Like, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he's just going straight to the bottom with them. Like, y'all are greedy. And you think this world is what there is to have, and it's not. There's so much more to have. And God is saying to them, I'm here. I'm about to change everything. John is my messenger, and he's preparing the way because I'm about to open the doors wide open for all people to be with me, to have a relationship with me. And he's saying, and if you're saying you're one way and living a completely different way, and you're living a way that's against me, it's time to repent. And that's what's happening right here with John as he is preaching this. Now, now I, the thing I want to understand about this part of the passage, though, is this. Before, the Jews thought they owned the corner on God. And John is now saying, nope, you don't own the corner on God. That's why the Jews were there along with the tax collectors and repenting, along with the soldiers and repenting. This whole new way to be with God is now open to anyone and everybody. Okay, you can fill in the blank. God calls everyone to himself. He shows no favoritism. He wants everybody. doesn't matter what your story is. doesn't matter your history. doesn't matter how bad you were or how good you were or like what you did in the past or what color you are or what nationality you've become. Like none of that matters. God says, I want everyone. I'm telling you, if you don't like color, you're going to hate heaven because it's all over the place up there. Like he's calling all people into his presence. And it started in this moment with John saying, a new thing is coming and I'm preparing the way for the Messiah. It's for the religious. It's for the tax collectors. It's for the soldiers. It's for anybody. Things were about to radically change. Radically change. So here's John baptizing the people in repentance. And these people are wondering in their spirits. And they're hoping. They're like, but will we be saved? Is, is a Messiah coming? And now they're wondering, is John it? Is he the one that's out here preaching this? Is John the one we've been waiting for? And so let's, let's keep reading. And then in verse 15. So the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. You know, they're wondering, like, is he it? Is this who we've been waiting? He's obviously got the power of God on him and he's preaching with power of might, the word of God. Like, is he the Messiah? John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. That's a powerful phrase right there. In that day, the servant's roles in the household, the lowest servant role in the household was the servant that met the master at the door, cleaned their feet, took their sandals off. And he's saying, I am not even worthy to be the lowest servant with the one who's coming. And you think, John is like the mighty man of God bringing the word. He's like, no, I'm not even worthy. I'm baptizing with water, but he, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Woo! Water baptism sounds comfortable. (laughs) Fire baptism? What is that going to look like, right? Like, they don't know what this means. 
They're like, what are, you, what are you saying? And this is John prophesying what the Messiah was going to do. We see in the book of Acts, we studied it earlier, what that meant. That, that when Jesus ascended into heaven after he died, rose again from the grave, spent time with his disciples, then he ascended up into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit down, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit with what was the image of tongues of fire coming upon them. The Holy Spirit showed up in a whole new way that never had been in history past. And this is the point of history we live in, you know? And so he's prophesying, saying, no, he's going to baptize you with a completely different thing. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He's again giving them an image, and they, they probably didn't understand what he was saying. The winnowing fork. Do you know what a winnowing fork is? I don't know if you've ever seen the old painting of the farmer, you know, this holding his thing and his wife. And it's a winnowing fork, it just has like usually like three different prongs, and that's it. And, and so there would be wheat on the ground, and they would take the winnowing fork, and they would put it in the wheat, and they would toss it up in the air. And it, do it on a windy day, toss it up in the air, and all the chaff, the thing that's useless, and all that kind of stuff, would blow out because it's lightweight. And then the wheat that you want to keep would fall back down, and then, then that's what they would take in, is the wheat that they needed. They didn't need the chaff. They didn't need any of that stuff. And so he's saying... The Messiah is coming, and he is going to separate out that which is going to be burned, because that's what the chaff, what they would do with it. They would separate it out, and it's useless. Boom, they'd burn it in a fire. It's gone. He's saying the same thing is going to happen with people. The, the winnowing that's going to happen is, is Jesus is coming, and this is a prophecy, two-part prophecy. One is he's going to do a little bit of it while he's on this earth, and he's going to do it permanently when he returns. This is all prophecy. And he's saying, and he's going to separate out those who really belong to God with those that are religious or those that are separated from and those that do not know God. And one's going to be with God and the other's going to be burned up. This is powerful imagery that he's trying to get their attention with that for us, I, I think we still need the attention of what he's talking about. There is heaven and there is hell. They're real places. And Jesus is the one that holds the destiny of all of our lives in his hands. He gives us choices in that process. So he's telling them, what's not real, it's going to be burned up. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Now, that didn't sound like good news, did it? <laughs> like, like, what was the good news part of that? The good news part of it was, you don't have to go through the burning part because the Savior's coming to save you from it. That's the good news. The good news, the reality is all of us are sinners, all of us in this room, every single one of us, all throughout history. Like, we are sinners. We are not perfect. We cannot be good enough to climb the ladder to heaven. No way we can get there. Even on my best day, not even close. And God knew that, and he said, I want them to be with me. They can't climb up this ladder of goodness. Never happened. Sin separates us. Jesus, the Messiah, came to come down the ladder for us, to make a way for us to be with him, to save us from ourselves, save us from our sin, to forgive us and make us right so we can be set right here on this earth and for eternity. That is the good news of the gospel. That's what John was preparing the way for. Here is the Messiah. I better keep reading. I only have five minutes left. Oh boy, here we go. But when John rebuked Herod, uh, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added to this to them. He locked John up in prison. So it's like John wasn't afraid of anybody. Like he did not show favoritism on who he's going to confront sin on. And this guy was like one of the key leaders. Got him arrested, okay? 
So now John, in, at this point, not a good place for John. And if you read through, you'll see bad things happen to John. John wasn't the Messiah, but he made the way for the Messiah. This next part of the scene here, we see when all the people were being baptized. So this is, again, John is there, and he's baptizing people in a baptism of repentance. It says Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. I'm going to hit pause there for a minute. Wait a minute. That was a really short sentence. Jesus was baptized too? That doesn't make any sense. This is where theologians argue with each other. Because it's like, well, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Because Paul was baptized, or John was baptizing a baptism of repentance, meaning like you're sinning, you're doing the wrong thing, so be baptized and repent and be made clean. Jesus never sinned. There was no sin in Jesus. He didn't have to be baptized with a baptism of repentance because he had nothing to repent from. So what was this baptism with John? We read, I think it's in Matthew, when he, he shares this story, he goes a little bit more in depth in the conversation between John and Jesus, and, and Jesus shows up at the water, and John's like, I can't baptize you. I I'm not even like fit to like clean your feet. You got to be kidding me. And Jesus is like, no, you have to baptize me in fulfillment of all righteousness. It's like, what does that even mean? And so he consented and he baptized Jesus. I imagine that moment. See, what we see here in this moment, Jesus being baptized, he, he is in this moment as this whole shift of, in the spiritual realm is changing. The old covenant is starting to go away. This new covenant, this new agreement, this new relationship God wants with all of us is starting to be put in place. Jesus is representing himself amongst us as sinners. Not that he sinned, but he's saying, but I'm here for you. And so I'm getting baptized to show you the righteousness that's going to come from me. Because we see something powerful happen right after this because heaven, when Jesus was praying, heaven was opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So now the Holy Spirit shows up. Everybody's seen this. What is going on? And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he had began his ministry. And this was the initiation for his ministry. He didn't start it till he was baptized. See, we see some things here in this baptism that shifts baptism. It's identifying, he's identifying with us in our unrighteousness and saying, I'm coming to give you full righteousness and I'm about to begin what God set for me to do, my heavenly father on this earth. So he's now being initiated and called down his identity. For us, when we experience baptism today, when we choose to take that step, I believe we get to experience part of this process. Because we are identifying ourselves with Christ when we are baptized. That, that we can confess our sins, we can, we can ask Christ to forgive us of our sins and thank him for dying on the cross for our sins. And we can believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth in faith that he has saved us. And then when we take the very next step, and it should be the very next step into the waters of baptism, what we're saying is, now I identify with Christ. We read this in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 6. It says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, what he started was a new baptism. And for us, when we get baptized, baptizo, I'm going to talk about the Greek word in a moment, we are then identifying ourselves with Christ. Christ was buried he died. 
And when we go under that water in baptism today, we're saying, my old self is dead. My sin is dead. And then when we are under the water, and just so you know, we hold you down there until you see Jesus. All right, so it, the bubbles stop, and they're like, you see him? All right, come back up. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. That's a joke we always say, and it's, maybe we should stop. Um, because it says, we, then we were buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Meaning we, we die to ourselves, We die to sin and we are raised again just as Christ was raised again to new life. Freedom, forgiveness in, in our soul, in our lives. Representing that this has happened in me and now I'm letting all of you know about it. Because then it becomes a part of our identity. Just as Jesus, when he was baptized, his identity was spoken loud and clear. This is my son, whom I love. When we accept and we are baptized, we are representing the same thing. And he looks down. I believe that God looks down on you and says, you are my son, you're my daughter, and I am so pleased with you. I love you so much. And I believe the Holy Spirit does a work in us in that moment that only he can do when we go to the waters of baptism. It's the outward expression of what God has done to save us in our heart and by faith and by his grace. And so I brought Oreos. Anybody like Oreos? Let me explain baptism real quick, okay? Oreos are good, right? Like by themselves, but they're not perfect. There's something missing. Um, I'm sorry, I stole these from my son, Luke. He loves Oreos. And like these are double stuffed, to make them a little better, you take two double stuffed, you eat the cookie, and then you put them together, and you get, is it quadruple stuffed at that point? Okay, I got an amen in the front corner. Absolutely, this is the holy way to eat an Oreo. But the, honestly, it's not good enough still until you baptizo it. <laughs> Do you know what bapti- baptizo, the original language, it literally translated means to get wet all over. It's to get dunked. That is the literal transition, or, or translation, that Jesus was dunked he was under the water. And see, with, with a cookie and an Oreo, all of a sudden, when you pull that out, oh, it's a whole nother level. It's close to perfection. Um, I, I, somebody was yelling the first gathering, like, you hold it till it stops bubbling, right? We all have our own, like, how you do it. You know, how you dip, you hold it, wait till it cracks. You, like, oh, it's just right. It just cracked. I would eat it, but I have black stuff in my teeth. See, oh, if you... <laughs> If somebody wants to come up and eat one, that's fantastic. I'm not doing it right now. Um, I'll lick my fingers at least. Um, this is the image of baptism. It's baptizo. It's, and, and that's what happens with us. Before, we're, we may be even good. Oh, man, that's so good. And it's 12.01. It's like time for eating. That's what we do. We, we may be even good, maybe even good people, but honestly, without Christ, we're still not good enough. When we get baptized, we are submersing, we're burying ourselves as, as with Christ. We're taking all of our sin, all of our old self, all that thing, and we're repent, repenting from it. We're saying, I don't want that life anymore. I don't want to live like that. I want to be like Christ. And we raise again to new life. We look like Christ. We can be like Christ, and we can continue to walk in Christ. Does it mean we're perfect when we come out? No, but we're better. And we're making a commitment before God and before his church to say, I want to walk better. Help me. And then we grow. That's the whole spiritual life is us growing as we grow closer to Christ. 
And I want to encourage you, if you are a Christ follower and you've never gone into the waters of baptism, what are you waiting for? It's honestly the first step of obedience to God's word is to take that step and be baptized after you accept him in your life. I would encourage you to take that step. Next week, we're celebrating baptisms here on Sunday during the gatherings up here. If you want to take that step, sign up today. We have uh, baptism packets right here at the Welcome Center. Grab one, take it home. We'll get you to that next step for you. If you're like, well, I was baptized when I was a kid. Listen, if it didn't actually mean anything to you, then I don't believe it's a true baptism, okay? If you're sprinkled as a baby, you didn't make that decision. You just got a little wet. It needs to be your decision. I want to be identified with Christ. I've accepted Christ in my life, and I want to have my identity be shown. I belong, I'm here, and I've been set free. I want to encourage you, take that step if you have not taken that step. The reality is this, and we're going to learn this through the whole series. There is only one who can save your life, and his name is Jesus. There's only one Messiah. All the other lowercase s saviors we try to put into our lives will never fulfill, and they will never save you for this world or the world to come. They can't get you there. Jesus said of himself, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven unless they get through him. Jesus is the Messiah, the one and only, the promised Messiah, the Savior, the door to heaven. He came to set us apart. His winnowing fork, his willowing fork has been set out. He wants to lift us up and be a part of the wheat who belongs to heaven. And so today we're going to respond in a couple different ways. One, we're going to respond if you are already a Christ follower. I'm going to give you some challenges. But two, if you don't know Christ yet, I need you to know God did all this stuff because he loves you. Like, I don't know the way you have viewed God in your life. If God's like the big, you know, smiter in heaven that's just waiting to knock you down and he's waiting for you to mess up so he'll be like, ha, I got you. Like, some people see God as that kind of dictator and controller and trying to, like, steal joy from him. Like, that is not God. God is the God that gave up everything, gave up his son, dying on the cross so that you could be with him and he could be with you. That is love. And he loves you. And if you want a relationship with him, there's only one way, and it's through his son, Jesus. That's it. It's you believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, Jesus died on that cross for your sins. No, you can't get to Jesus through anybody else. If your parents had faith, you're not getting to heaven through your parents. It's only you. It's your decision. And today, I'm going to invite you to make a decision if you want to. I can't force anybody to do anything, and that's not our job. My job is just to do what John did. I just want to preach the gospel. This is what God did for you. So let's just take some time to pray and respond, and then we're going to respond in worship as we wrap up. So God, thank you for this word this morning. Thank you that, that by your Spirit, you empowered Luke um, to, to bring this message, to bring it with accuracy and, and, and history for us to understand what you did in this point in history in 26 AD and why it matters for us today in 2022. You've made a way for us to be with you. And it started with John the Baptist preparing the way. God, I want to pray for all the Christians in the room who are, are still trying to have other things save them even though they know you but maybe they're trying to put other things into place or they're trying to be good enough. or I don't know. You know what's going on in our hearts, God. I don't, but help us to set those things aside. Help us focus on Jesus in this season and experience Jesus for who he really is in our life and to be grateful for what he's done for us.
I would say, again, we need to choose our Savior wisely. Let me go back, just, just for a moment, and you can look up here if you want to, but I'm going to go back to the Chilean miners that were stuck underground for 69 days. Imagine when they were stuck underground that there was a small hole that they could see through. Nobody was looking for them except all of a sudden this guy shows up by the name of Cletus. And Cletus shows up and he has a stick of diamond and a beer in his hand. And he says, I think I can get you out of there. How secure do you think they were in Cletus actually being their savior? Not very much because Cletus was about to take a drink and blow his hand off right? Instead, from the United States and from other countries, some of the wisest professionals showed up with the best mining equipment on the planet to come dig a shaft 2,000 feet through this difficult terrain, and it cost over $20 million to get these 33 men out of that hole. Who do you think they would have rather had, Cletus or all the best they could possibly get? I'm, this is what I'm saying for us. Some of us are putting our spiritual lives in the hands of Cletus. We're trusting things that will never, ever save us. And today I'm going to challenge you, choose your Savior wisely. The only one I know of that will get you to heaven is Jesus. And today may be your day to make a decision and say, I want that then. I want Jesus. Because he paid more than 20 million. He gave his whole life for you to pay for your sin. That's what sin does. Sin leads to death. Should be our death. But he died on the cross. Our death to forgive us of our sin and paid for our price in front of his heavenly father. And he was buried in the grave, but three days later he conquered death itself and he rose again to life. There's no tomb with the body of Jesus, because he is alive. Amen? And today, I'm telling you, he's the only one that can save. So if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, you can pray, and you can confess with your own mouth, believe in your own heart that Jesus is who he said he was. I always say here, there's no magic words of the pastor. I can't get you to heaven. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, I'm just one beggar who found bread to show another beggar where I found it. And his name's Jesus. So if you want that, I'm going to pray right now, and you can pray in your own words, and you can start that relationship. Let's all pray. Let's all spend that time in prayer. So you can say this. You can say, God, I know I've sinned, and I know I'm not perfect, and I know my sin separates me from you, and so I ask, would you forgive me of my sins right now? Free me from them, God. I want to repent. I want to turn away from them. I want to turn towards you. And God, in this moment, I confess that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, he is your son that paid my price. And three days later, he rose again, and he's alive, and I want to be alive like him. I want to be alive now, and I want to be alive for eternity, and I want to be with you forever. And so receive me, accept me into your family. I give you my life. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I, I want your presence in me so I can learn to live like you. And God, I just confess this only in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And for the rest.